Subfreaks, it's your boy Marty here to introduce this episode of Rabbit Hole Recap. Matt and I just had an hour and 20 minute rip. Really, really good conversation. You guys are going to love it. Talked about the Fed, talked about a bunch of uh, updates and releases going on in the Bitcoin world, and ended it on chain analysis. So I think you guys are going to like it. This episode of Tales from the Crypt is brought to you by our good friends at Unchained Capital. You freaks are pretty familiar with them at this point. Our boy Matt just did a caravan bet, or excuse me, a price bet using caravan with American HODL and Keep It Simple Bitcoin, where Matt uh, is the arbiter in the bet. And if come October 1st, uh, the loser of the bet between American HODL or Keep It Simple Bitcoin does not sign the 2 or 3 multi-sig uh, they're part of the two or three multi-sig. Matt will step in and do that. Unchained Capital has a security-first mindset creating financial products for Bitcoiners. They have their vault program where you can engage in a two or three multi-sig in which you hold two keys and Unchained holds one. You can use a ledger or a treasure, soon to be a cold card as well. And if you ever want to move your UTXOs out of the vault, you can do so by yourself. But if you need Unchained to help you out with that second signature there there for you. On top of that, they have their loan program where you can use your Bitcoin as collateral for U.S. dollar loans. You can get same-day U.S. dollar liquidity, putting Bitcoin up as collateral. You put the Bitcoin up, you get USD. Friends don't let friends sell Bitcoin. And on top of that, they're doing a bunch of open source work. We already mentioned Caravan, which is the open source multi-sig quorum. Uh, if you don't want Unchained involved in that multi-sig at all, they've open sourced their solution for you. So you can download Caravan and do that by yourself. On top of that, they're working on Slip39 Hermit, and they have an incredible blog series, uh, multiple blog series, actually. Gradually, then suddenly, Dhruv has been writing about HODL waves in Bitcoin and space. Joe Kelly, Will Cole, Phil Geiger are rounding out that blog as well with some incredible content. So go to www.unchained-capital.com. It's www.unchained.com dashcapital.com go check out everything they've been doing this all this episode is also brought to you by our good friends at the cash app you freaks already know all about them if you don't know about them let me tell you about them all right they're helping you stack sats they're helping you send sats receive sats and sell sats if you so please don't recommend the selling sats part but if you have to you can do it via the cash app Uh, on top of that they're making sats the standard this is already out there for Android users. And if you're an Android user who also happens to have an iPhone, your account may have sets of standard on the iPhone as well. And they're also teasing that they're going to roll out auto buy function. Soon TM. Soon TM. That's all I can say. I can't say anything else. All right. On top of that, they're helping you stack stonks. If you're a day trader out there stacking stonks, I don't recommend that you day trade on the Cash App. Not ideal. All right. But if you are a long-term trader thinking about dollar cost averaging in the stocks. If you have a favorite stonk that you want to buy and hold for the long term, but it's a little bit expensive, a little bit out of your price range, the Cash App, Cash App Investing specifically, is letting you buy as little as $1 of that stonk. You don't have to buy the whole stonk. You can buy a dollar at a time, a sliver of a stonk, if you will. All right? And because Cash App is directly connected to your bank account, there's no four to five day waiting periods. You can start investing today. If you're listening to this on Good Friday, you probably can't invest today because it is a holiday. Um, the stock market is closed. But if you're listening to this on another weekday where the stock market isn't closed and it's not a holiday or a weekend, you can stack stonks, slivers of stonks today. On top of that, they have their boost program, their personalized debit card, accepted anywhere visas accepted. You can save money at their partner merchants. Uh, so go download the Cash App. You can do a lot with it. You can stack sats, you can stack slivers of stonks, and you can... Use their boost program to save money at partner merchants. 
if you do download the Cash App, if you haven't done it yet, what the hell are you waiting for? If you're able to download it and you haven't done done so yet, sorry for the prep there, uh, make sure you do it. And when you do do it, use the code STACKINGSATS. That's one word, S-T-A-C-K-I-N-G-S-A-T-S. You're going to get $10, all right, $10 that you can then turn into sats. And $10 is going to go to our good friends at Owls Lacrosse in Chicago doing incredible things. That's Owls Lacrosse. All right, use the code Stacking Sats. Download the Cash App today. And I hope you guys enjoy this episode as well as the new intro. We got a new intro, at least for this week. Our boy Jay Skrilla, DJ Jay Skrilla at Skrilla Ventura on Twitter. Uh, is dropping a Bitcoin-focused album. Sound Money is the name of the album. Uh, this song is called Not In Your Wallet. Enjoy. Okay. Plan Beach. Hold up. Each day I'm closer to being cash of the future. Not in your wallet. I'm in your computer. Census of shared and synchronized digital data spread across multiple platforms from Shanghai to Grenada. Each day I'm closer to being cash of the future. What is up, freaks? Welcome back to Rabbit Hole Recap. Second edition this week. We've got a stimulus package in on Monday. We're back on this Thursday, and a lot has happened. We've got a lot to talk about. It's the longest list I've seen in quite a while. Matt, how the hell are we doing? How long has it been since I've been in the same room as you, Marty? <sighs> too long. Too long. I, I have been down here uh, at least a month, maybe a month and a week yesterday. And the, epi- so the episode before weeks. we both left the city, we did remote as well. Yes. So, it, so we're on six weeks here. I think that's the longest I've been away from you since we met. You're going to make me cry. I'm tearing up. I'm going to need to it's, pour myself a drink. It's killing me, man. The, the, first, the first reunited episode is going to be fucking epic, though. So we have that to look forward to. We're going to have to get pretty hammered for that one. I'm drinking today. It's 3.30 where I am. Not even yet. Uh, but there's a lot to talk about. A lot going on in the world. Cheers. Cheers, freaks. Uh, through the camera. Uh, we'll get started. We'll we'll ease into this by looking at Clark Moody's dashboard. Since we last met on Monday, there was a difficulty adjustment, an upwards difficulty adjustment uh, by 5.8. Or excuse me, that is... Yeah, um, 5.8% upward difficulty adjustment was making sure it wasn't the estimated for the next difficulty adjustment. Next difficulty adjustment is estimated to be around 3% right now. Current price of Bitcoin is $7,265. We're at block 625,000, 1, 171, excuse me, less than 5,000 blocks away from 
the having, um, what are we looking at? Fees versus subsidies back down. It's at 1.88% right now. Uh, Bitfinex inbound capacity is still hovering around 18.68, outbound at 37.37. And where are the tour? Total tour nodes is at 1,959. Percentage of tour capacity of the Lightning Network, excuse me, percentage of capacity on the Lightning Network that's running through tours, 42.1%, pretty yeah, high. That's been moving up recently post-quarantine. Um, my, my theory, one of my theories is that it's because people are running their no, running nodes for the first time, and if they use like any of the major packages, um, they default to tour now. So my node defaults to tour, Raspi Blitz defaults to tour, I'm pretty sure. Um, yeah, and Noddle, Noddle, if you buy a pre-built Noddle, it defaults to Tor. So if they're running their own nodes, they go on the network. And hopefully we see more of that. We see um, like routing nodes on the smaller side. They don't have to be that big that are running through Tor, that are be- being run by people who control their own hardware in their own homes. And that people don't know who they are. They're unknown actors. It's not like a a big business running it. If you have a big business running one of these nodes, then they could be pressured by a local government or something like that. Um, so, yeah, great to see. Incredible to see. Um, yeah, like I said this week, we had an upward difficulty adjustment while we're on mining, uh, and we're less than 5,000 blocks away from the halving. Another interesting note this week that wasn't on the list, but something we should mention is that Bitcoin Cash had its uh, halving yesterday. And it really shows that if you uh, are not the dominant chain, it's going to be hard to to uh, subsist after a halving, if, especially if you, you're, the price of your coin is, is, is very low and your mining hardware can be pointing at a more profitable chain like Bitcoin. So Bitcoin Cash had their having then it took about i think like three hours for them to mine a block and i think they've had like 14 blocks like in the last 24 hours. hours there's there's a couple things there well first of all um i still can't believe bitcoin cash hasn't had a major 51 percent attack um i i i've been calling for it for since it existed so um still surprised now it's even more vulnerable um so there's a couple things here first of all i went into the having uh, at I think like 0.7% of SHA-256 hash. So like Bitcoin had 99% of all hash rate and Bitcoin Cash had less than 1%. Um, and it has since fallen even more. I think it has 0.2% of hash rate now. So it has a very minuscule level of hash rate. Um, when we talk about people 51% tacking uh, Bitcoin Cash, we, what we really talk about is it's like a half percent attack if you're talking about Bitcoin hash rate. Um, the other thing is there's two more things that people should keep in mind. They have a uh, like a checkpoint system that's handled by by uh, the main um, node client for 10 blocks, but not all the nodes run that. I believe Bitcoin Unlimited does not have, which is the other client, does not have um, the 10 block checkpoint. So if there was to be a reorg, greater than 10 blocks, we would we could potentially see a chain split there is what you would expect. And then the second thing is um, they changed their difficulty adjustment algorithm. So with, with Bitcoin, the difficulty adjusts 
approximately every two weeks, tw- 2016 blocks. Every, yeah. Right? And so that's a long period of time. It's hard to game that system. But with Bitcoin Cash, what they did was uh, it changes on a moving average or the daily moving average. So it. I think they might have changed it to 144 blocks. I don't know if it's the average. I think it's just a straight daily type thing. Okay, well, whatever. It's a lot shorter. I'm not exactly sure exactly. Exactly sure exactly. I'm not exactly sure because who the fuck gives a shit, but they shortened it. So what you see a lot is the few miners that are mining it, they hop off and hop back on to game that system, right? So when the halving happened, uh, profitability got cut in half, right? Like the amount of money, the amount of Bitcoin cash they, they received got cut in half. So they might as well pull off and go mine Bitcoin um, while they wait for the difficulty to rapidly adjust down, right? But the game theory is such that no one really cares about Bitcoin Cash. So there's no like miners of last resort. So the game theory, it was like everyone tried to do that. And then there was no miners left to mine the Bitcoin Cash blocks until someone finally was like, ah, I better switch back and fucking do it. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, this is something we've been predicting. I think I wrote about it in the newsletter like months ago. Like this is going to completely decimate their their chain. And to give them credit, yesterday they had four exahash, uh, or before the fork they had four exahash, which is about like between two and a half and three percent of overall shot two fifty six. No, I, I think it was less than that, wasn't it? No, it was four exahash. I'm pretty positive. But are you and, sure percentage wise? Are you sure percentage wise it was over? It was over yeah, because Bitcoin right now is at like 104 exahash, and I imagine Bitcoin SV is even lower. So altogether, it's got to be like 110 exahash. If they had four four exahash at the time, that's it's got to be two and a half to three percent, I would imagine. Um, I'm looking and, at fork.lol, and right now. It's at 0.63 exahash, or at least last I checked. I have a screenshot from yeah, like an the 12, hour ago. The 12-hour, up. The 12 hour, it's at 0.54%, and Bitcoin is at 99.46%. But if you go by seven days, yeah, maybe you're right. If you go by seven days, it's 97.18% to 2.82%. So, yeah, yeah they did. Yeah, so like a, 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 average over the week. Um but no, I mean, we're going to see this again. Who knows? We're going to see this exact. That'll be interesting to see play out. It's a lot of the conversation. Not that anybody cares about Bitcoin SV either, but they're going to have their having as well, I believe, next week or pretty soon after this one. Um, and that's the question. Does Bitcoin SV have altruistic miners that will keep hashing there? They definitely have big money bags with Calvin Air, but yeah, who, who knows and who cares? Yeah. Um, well, eventually we'll Bitcoin, see fifty-one like, percent attacks on both of them. Well, we keep saying rest. that. We keep hoping for it. I hope we do, but we'll see. It's got to happen. Like, is it, yeah, we'll see. But that is interesting. Last three hours, Bitcoin hash rates at one hundred and forty exahash. It's pretty insane. Maybe what's miners M thirties are starting to hit the market. I, I know they're supposed to announce that in a week, but. Miners have been known to put those on early. No, it was because, and then 12 it was because hour. the Fed saved Bitcoin. Saved us from the mining. <laughs> uh, it stepped in. All right, it's a good segue. Let's step in to what the Fed did today. 
First, let's note um, we had another big unemployment print this week. Was it six point six million today? Uh, I thought it was sixteen and a half, but I mean, at the end of the day, it doesn't really. I mean, sixteen and a half overall, six point six this week from week to week. Oh yes, yes, uh, that's what it was. Yeah, and the so top, 16 and a half million the top in two thousand eight. Just a reminder, was like five hundred k. It was like 500K and change or something. Yeah, so completely insane. And we talked about this last week is that the incentives of the uh, small business loan and unemployment uh, guarantees being there that sort of forced or incentivized business owners to lay off workers knowing that they would have the unemployment. Or is it something else? It's probably a combination of both. But it's insanity. Like the, the, and we were just talking about it before we hit record. It's not only the U.S. economy shut down; the global economy, give or take a few countries, is completely shut down. Or I'll, I'll say, not a few countries, but give or take the West, a majority the of the world's world economic is, power. The Western world is yes. pretty much completely shut down, which is unfathomable. I can't even imagine. I mean, we're living it, but I couldn't imagine this yeah. scenario. Yeah, and. The debate is raging on whether or not that is advantageous for the economy and lives in the long run. I think a good conversation to be having right now is what's going to do more damage to health and and lives in the long run, the shutdown or the virus. We're not going to have that right now, but I think that's a question people should be thinking about, especially as you see unemployment prints like we did today and overall at 16.5 million. That's pretty insane. That's that's what... Uh, more than 5% in the country, probably more than 20% of the workforce, I would imagine. It's 32 Boston's population. So Boston's population <laughs> times 32. Yeah. That's fucking insane. And with that print coming out, I don't know if the Fed, the Fed probably didn't do this as a reaction to the print exactly, but uh, anticipating what was going to happen, they came out. And they took additional uh, actions to provide up to two point three trillion in loans to support the economy. So today they announced uh, a bunch of programs, uh, a few of which were expected. One of which I was not expecting at all. We're going to get into, but uh, so we're just going to read through what the Fed did today, like we did a couple of weeks ago. The actions the Federal Reserve is taking today to support employers of all sizes of communities across the country will bolster the effectiveness of the Small Business Administration's Paycheck Protection Program, uh, it's a tongue twister, by supplying liquidity to participating financial institutions through term financing backed by PPP loans to small businesses. The PPP provides loans to small businesses so that they can keep their workers on the payroll. doesn't seem to be working. The Paycheck Protection uh, Program liquidity facility, so they create a new facility for this, will extend credit to eligible financial institutions that originate PPP loans, taking the loans as collateral at face value. Uh, so the Fed basically saying, hey, we're going to work with banks, uh, particularly banks that are uh, supporting small businesses, and the banks are then going to loan out the money to the small businesses. So they're going to back up the bank's uh, loan books, uh, but the banks are going to be the ones who are uh, forward-facing with the businesses and, and actually giving out these loans. So that's something to keep in mind. It's something we touched on on Monday. There's a lot of fuckery going on with that. Uh, next, ensure credit flows to small and mid-sized businesses with the purchase of up to $600 billion in loans through the Main Street Lending Program. Some great Orwellian doublespeak here. The Department of the Treasury using... 
right? Department of the Treasury using funding from the Coronavirus Aid Relief and Economic Security Act, the CARES Act, some more doublespeak there, will provide $75 billion in equity to the facility. Next, increase the flow of credit to households and businesses through capital markets by expanding the size and scope of the primary and secondary market corporate credit facilities, as well as the term asset-backed securities loan facility. These three programs will now support up to $850 billion in credit-backed by $85 billion in credit protection provided by the Treasury. All right, so this is important to note. Uh, these three programs will now support up to $850 billion in credit backed by $85 billion in credit protection provided by the Treasury. So they're basically taking $85 billion from the Treasury, which is backed by taxpayer money, and then levering that up 10 times. So they're, they're not really getting $850 billion. They're getting $85 billion and then levering that up 10x through their programs. How they do that exactly, I'm not well, exactly sure load, at the right? moment, but I'm sure. It's a loan yeah. program. Yeah. Yeah. So they're levering up 10x <laughs> while the, the, the economy is in a dire state so uh, caused arguably by over leverage as well. They're hoping they get 90% payback at least, right? They I have, mean, they have 10% collateral. I don't know. Right? Yeah. Well, I don't know if ninety percent is right. I mean, I don't know exactly what they want. I am. Uh, this is confusing. I'm not well read on this particular. Yeah, it's very confusing. I don't want to speak with any authority on that particular question. But last bullet point here: they're going to help state and local governments manage cash flow stresses caused by the coronavirus pandemic by establishing a municipal liquidity facility that will offer up to five hundred billion in lendings to states and municipalities the treasury will provide 35 billion of credit protection to the federal reserve uh, for the municipal liquidity facility using funds appropriated by the cares act so again this is all taxpayer money uh, for this particular bullet point where they're buying municipal bonds the treasury is going to provide 35 billion that the fed is then allowed to lever up to 500 billion uh, and to get more specific what really is very fucked up i would say and uh evil almost is the one facility so the secondary market corporate credit facility this allows the fed uh to buy individual corporate bonds and then eligible etfs that some of these corporate bonds are a part of so eligible assets eligible individual corporate bonds the facility may purchase corporate bonds that at the time of the purchase by the facility were issued by an eligible issue issuer have a remaining maturity of five years or less and were sold to the facility by an eligible seller. Eligible ETFs, and this is crazy. So the Fed's getting into exchange-traded funds, which are basically mutual funds that trade like stocks. They're not exactly mutual funds, but just think of the product. It is uh, a tranched, layered product that trades like a stock. It's as easy to get in and out of as a stock is, but it acts like a mutual fund almost. The facility also may purchase US listed ETFs whose investment objective is to provide broad exposure to the market for US corporate bonds. So this is just vanilla corporate bonds, pretty pretty uh, high grade, high rated corporate bonds. The preponderance of ETF holdings will be of ETFs whose primary investment objective is exposure to US investment grade corporate bonds. So again, corporate investment grade corporate bonds is usually good debt okay and this is where it gets fucked up and the remainder will be in etfs whose primary investment objective is exposure to u.s high yield corporate bonds so high yield is code word for junk bonds so they're buying junk bonds now 
basically bonds that nobody believes that will be paid back in the long run. They're the riskiest uh, types of high, or excuse me, the riskiest types of debt you can buy. Okay, so this is they're buying ETFs. Uh, this is not bonds. good. They're buying junk bond ETFs, right? Yeah. It's fucked up. Yeah. Which isn't even, it's like I'm a. I'm sure that'll end well. Like they're buying a derivative of the shit, which is even riskier. Well, let me pull this up right now because it's important that we touch on this. Dan McArdle from Asari has been on this tip for quite a while. And he, he pointed out that in the Fed's speech today, like Powell completely contradicted himself. There's logical inconsistencies from what he was saying today in a speech and what in the assets they're buying. So today, Powell said during the speech where he's announcing all this, I would stress that these are lending powers, not spending powers. The Fed is not authorized to grant money to particular beneficiaries. The Fed can only make secure loans to solvent entities with the expectation that the loan will be fully repaid. All right. So the secondary market supporting high yield aka junk bond ETFs, the underlying assets in those ETFs are not expected to be paid back in full. So he's directly contradicting what he said today with the assets he's paying. There's some double speak and logical inconsistencies going on that everybody should be paying attention to. And these should be alarm bells going off that number one, they really don't know what they're doing. And number two, uh, like they're in a very precarious situation. And it's almost like, their attempts to solve it while misguided are all, are also like making it more precarious of a situation than we're already in. Well, and the even more fucked up part about it is that the Fed incentivized all this. It's like all the corporate bonds and all the corporate debt that exist today was incentivized via low interest rate regime, right. which the Fed has had for the last 12 years. So all these corporate corporations were like, hey, we got low interest rates. It's a good time to go get debt. And then what Dan also pointed out, a lot of these corporations took that debt and did stock buybacks so that they could gain their earnings per share and trigger executive bonuses. So they did some financial engineering, took advantage of the Fed's low interest rate regime, took out the debt, used that debt to buy back stocks to lower the denominator in the earnings per share, which would jack up their stock prices. And then the board's of these companies have stock uh, targets that if they hit price targets, if they hit those targets, the executives get, uh, get bonuses. And so via the Fed's low interest rate policy, uh, corporations noticing that they were able to take advantage of that and then buy back their stock to lower the denominator to trigger their bonuses. The Fed is bailing out this action, the, the, these practices. It's fucking evil. It is evil at the end of the day. Wow, the taxpayer is on the hook for it. People are saying like, oh, no, the government's like the, the Fed's going to pay for this. But now with the Treasury interacting with the Fed in the way it is, it's really the taxpayer backing up all this. And we're all stuck in our homes. We can't go to work. That $1,200 hasn't showed up for most people yet. But all these fucking asshole corporations are getting bailed out. It always comes back to the broken incentives. You have broken incentives and everything else breaks along the line. And again, that's what I said in the newsletter today. They're in a doom loop. Like, so they're just papering over these problems with the same things that caused it. They're again, levering up 
buying riskier assets or just going out further on the yield curve. It, it's insanity. Shoot bucks. Shoot bucks. Shout out to Dave Portnoy, uh, internet mogul, prolific day trader. Day trader. Uh, yeah. So he, he, uh, that's what I wrote about in the bent today. So Dave obviously is the founder and, uh, he's not the CEO. He's the founder of Barstool Sports, uh, and is a very prominent pop culture character these days. And he came out today and, and he, and he analogized the dollar to shroot bucks, like even he, and this is not to say that Dave's not a smart man. He's obviously an extremely smart human being. He would not be as successful as he, as he is if he were, weren't smart, but let's just be honest, like the fed and monetary policy isn't his, isn't his game, right? He doesn't even pay attention to that. He's really worried about content and sports and gambling yep. mostly. But the fact that he, felt compelled and like noticing what the fed is doing and to say what they're doing is basically creating shroot bucks. And like, he basically actually gave a very good explanation of inflation in under a minute in the video that's referenced in the bent. And that's what I said today. So we, you and I, and others who listen to this podcast and read the newsletter and follow the fed, we, we, we have thought that the fed lost credibility a while ago. We, we, we believe that the fed isn't not really had credibility for quite some time and seeing what Dave did today, I think it's really, and Michael Krieger pointed this out on Twitter too, this could be a cultural turning point. When you have the Dave Portnoy's of the world basically losing uh, or recognizing that the Fed doesn't have any credibility anymore, that might be a social turning point where more of the mass, and that's the thing Barstool represents is the common man. That's their audience. That's who they're speaking to. And more and more common man, men starting to, question the fed's possible excuse me credibility uh, is really going to erode confidence that it has any ability to uh, maintain stability of the u.s dollar in shoot we trust shoot we trust this is an incentive for for good behavior okay so we have a massive week on bitcoin this week so let's jump into let's jump into those topics um, I wanted to start uh, with, uh, wait, let's not get to Bitcoin yet. All right. Okay. We have to stress. This is insanity. It, you have the, the, the fucking fed buying high yield ETFs, bailing out the corporations that took advantage of their monetary. It's like a, it's a closed circle of elites taking advantage of a system they control while everybody else gets fucked. The taxpayer is on the hook for all of this. Like you cannot, this cannot be lost on people. This is not right. This is not moral. This is not ethical. This is evil. I would say at the end of the day. But Marty, the S and P is up one and a half percent right now. So is this not priced in? <sighs> did did the market not price it in correctly? Six and a half. The million market doesn't make any sense anymore. The market doesn't make any sense anymore. It's just numbers on a screen. I forget who tweeted it out. I think it was Greek Fire on Twitter. He might have a 13 at the end of that. He's a fintwit personality. And he said, the markets don't make any sense. They're just numbers on a screen. They don't represent any underlying value or cash flow in the system. The economy must be doing and great. The, yeah, dude. 16.5 million people applying for unemployment. We're doing just Rosie. All right. End of, end of my rant there. They made, me, they made me start drinking rosé at 3 p.m. today. Oh, I was going to ask you what you're drinking. That. Is that what you're drinking? Drinking some... Some whispering angel rosé. I'm I'm drinking Talisker Storm Scotch. 
I'm starting to run out of scotch. I gotta, I gotta make a run. Well, you've got my scotch and whiskey uh, cabinet is very full back at home. And if you uh, if you ever need to get in there, let me know. I think we had some freaks send uh, bottles to the donation address. Uh, you know, uh, sats towards bottles to the donation address. So when we reunite, we'll, we'll go see. on a spending spree. Shopping spree. Yeah, let me see if we got it. Do we get any shout outs? No shout outs. I'm just checking. No shout outs since uh I wanted since our friends at the at the Auburn, California Citadel. I wanted to shout out at James BTC Bond for setting up his my node with Electrum. I I love seeing that tweet this morning. Made me put a smile on my face. That's awesome. I agree. Good to see. Right. And and so for those of you who don't um, know exactly what we're referencing, Freak, James James Bond BTC. James BTC uh, Bond. James BTC Bond, excuse me, uh, got a MyNode, downloaded the blockchain, uh, and they connected his hardware wallet to his Bitcoin full node using Electrum. Uh, he said MyNode BTC made an absolute breeze, incredible software, um, liberating and he experience. said it's pretty fucking liberating feeling connect yeah it's liberating Fuck so yes. it, it is daunting at first it is definitely daunting and i'm still i'm not gonna lie i, I still get i don't want to say overwhelmed but it's always like ah it's gonna be a process i'm gonna have a lot of learning it's gonna anxious. be a lot of tinkering it seems daunting if anxious yes, is a good a word good as word. well um but then once once you once everything clicks and you have it working it's like it is exactly that like it's so empowering um, and in- incredibly uh, liberating, and and it, it is a journey to get there, and it is a little daunting and overwhelming at first. But once you get there, you realize that the journey's worth it. No going back after that. Anyway, I love to see it. So shout out to you, James. Um, yeah. Now we'll start off the Bitcoin news with some negative news. Uh, did you see Bisc had a security vulnerability this week? Um, I did. I did. So a couple of things. Well, first of all, um, they discovered this vulnerability and they halted all trading. So, you know, the question comes, how decentralized are they? Right. Um, obviously, they have this alert key that is able to stop trading that makes them less distributed than you would expect. Um, the, the difference is, is at least if users wanted to, they could override that alert key. So it's worth noting that users could have traded anyway, even though trading was officially stopped. The second thing is BIS doesn't have any access to user funds. Um, so they didn't like, you, you could still pull your money off of the BIS software. You have the private keys. You could, even when, even when trading was halted. So they halted trading. Um, they investigated, and then about a day later, they released a patch, and they opened up trading again. And the issue was, um, the issue was they used the to return have return address. What right? was that? The return address or something like that. So they used to have a third, uh, a two of three multisig, with the third key control being controlled by an arbitrator. They removed that arbitrator. And they introduced a BISC donation address as a fallback mechanism. The arbitrator's still there, but in a 
fallback disagreement situation, the funds get moved to the donation address. And what happened was the attacker, the BIS, and that was a recent update. And the, the problem was the BIS software didn't verify that address uh, when it created the, tra the original lockup transaction. So the attacker participated in a transaction and changed the donation address to his own address. So when the fallback happened, it went to him. He only targeted the Monero Bitcoin market, but that's not really that much solace because that's their biggest market on BISC. Um, three Bitcoin were stolen, 4,000 Monero were stolen. Um, and now the BISC team is submitting a proposal to their, to their governance system, the BISC DAO, to repay the victims. Um, so there's some questions there, you know, <laughs> if the victim should be repaid. We don't know who the victims are. Uh, yeah, could the it victims, be an the internal member of the team, right? Stuff like that. Yeah. Very interesting externality that comes with a decentralized exchange. Uh, yeah, that was, uh, I was surprised to see that this week, but from what I could tell, everybody was happy with the, the original, uh, or I don't want to say everybody's happy, but people were impressed with the original shutdown and then they had it back up within 24 hours, I believe. Uh, but it is an interesting uh, anecdote and example of how do you, like going forward, how are they going to solve this via the DAO? Like, uh, are they going to give the money back to attacker? What are your thoughts? I think, uh, money is, back to the like victims. three yeah. 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 Money back to the victims. But then the question is, is the victim the attacker? And then are you sort of incentivizing more attacks like that? Well, the victim probably you can't isn't prove, the attacker, but the attacker could be one of the best lead devs or something like that. That as well. But like, no, like the, the quote-unquote victim could be the attacker. Like pretending to be a victim when they actually did it themselves. This well, is hypothetical. I'm not saying this is the yourself case. yourself if you could steal from someone else? Just in, in the hopes hope that, that you get, get paid back. Yeah, but I mean, in that case, you might as well, I mean, you get paid out when you steal. Like how much? It's a, it's a no-cost It's a no cost attack. The Bitcoin alone that was... What? No, it's but a you no waste... no-cost attack. It's but what's you waste trying. your attack. You waste your attack. They patched it now. You can't do that attack anymore. So you're gonna you're gonna do some like far. I I doubt the victim was the attacker. Let me put it that way. I do I do too. But it is it is in the realm of possibility. I Would guess. you admit to that? But game theory wise, it doesn't make sense because you waste your attack. They got this patch now. Now the attacker can't do the attack again. Yeah, but it's a one shot. Like, if, I mean, we're not, again, we, we don't think it's this, but just running through the hypotheticals, even if they do patch over it, if they do pay him back, you're up 4,000 or 4,000 Monero. I guess. I mean, or, or it happened, it was like eight, wasn't it like 18 instances over the last month or something like that? It was three Bitcoin and 4,000 Monero. Oh, it did. Oh, the attack wasn't how many, just yesterday. Seven different victims over 12 days. I, over 12 days. I didn't realize that. Um, yeah. I Look, this is why the BIS DAO is supposed to exist. If you have the BIS token. No, it was over 12 days. You're supposed to be able to vote. You're supposed to be able to vote in these situations. Um, you know, all of these governance systems, they suffer in the beginning. They're, they're very closely held, right? Uh, the... the the people who own, there's a very few amount of people that own BIS DAO tokens. Um, 
but the idea is presumably that over time that that there's going to be a distribution of those tokens and the governance system can handle these kind of things and you know for bisc like this is a it's a critical thing because if if you have a small group of people that are able to control these decisions those people are going to get government there's going to be government pressure on them uh, and that becomes the weak point of the whole system so that that is that is where the that's the that's the hard problem to solve is is what happens in these kind of situations and who has the power over yeah. that it's not a clean yeah. thing ever yeah so our friends over at Bisque, Wiz, Steve Jane, anybody else working on that project, we're uh, we're feeling for you. It's a shitty thing to happen, but hopefully, this is just a a bump in the road, and in the long run, it turns out to be something that made the network stronger overall. Because decentralized exchange, decentralized exchanges like Bisque are going to be incredibly important, especially if the government starts ramping up uh, enforcement against Bitcoiners and particularly on and off ramps. Agreed. It should be interesting to see how it plays out. Freaks, if you have an opinion on the matter, uh, I know I know you don't need me to ask you, but feel free to uh, to post on Twitter what you think. Yeah. On to more. Uh, everything else is on to less gloomy topics. Yeah, everything else is very bullish. Every, First off, we got every, async. Yeah. Async's Phoenix wallet, uh, version one point three point zero, has been released and it adds Tor support. So we were talking about tour support in the beginning of this episode. It was incredible to see. Anything else particular particular with this uh, release that you want to t- touch on? Well, so Phoenix, we were when we were talking about Tor earlier, we were talking about routing nodes. You know, Phoenix is a mobile wallet, uh, so people won't be using it for routing. They'll just be using it for like everyday payments. Very easy to install. Uh, alongside Breeze, those are probably the two easiest non-custodial mobile wallets that exist right now. Um, so it's really good to see Phoenix add Tor support. Right now, it's opt-in. They hope if the performance holds up as, as it looks like, it, you know, if, if it if all goes according to plan, they will make it opt-out. So when you install Phoenix, uh, you will have a default to Tor, which is fantastic. I think, I think that all of these consumer-focused things should be, they should default to Tor. That should be the focus. So that's, that's really great to see. And then on the other mobile wallet front, we have Blue Wallet. Uh, released v5.3.0 and they released an update right before that too that i forgot to mention last week uh that i forgot to mention earlier this week but the two updates combined uh have two big changes the first change is we were we've talked in the past about how you can set up a watch only wallet um on blue wallet that has psbt support with cold card um and it uses your own Electrum server, but that Electrum server connection wasn't encrypted. So they added TLS support for both ElectrumX and Electris and Electrum personal server. So all three implementations of Electrum server have been added support with encryption, which is great to see. Um, the next step there is, is hopefully adding Tor support for that connection. And then the other big thing they added, which is, I don't know if you remember, Mycelium tried to do this and they fell off the face of the earth and became a completely shitty wallet. Uh, they they added a local trader feature in partnership with HODL HODL. So you can buy and sell Bitcoin without KYC directly through Blue Wallet 
using Hoddle Hoddle's uh, P2P platform? This was huge. I, I'm happy you mentioned that. I was very surpri- pleasantly surprised to see that, especially because you were uh, you were lambasting me for using Blue Wallet like uh, only like six months ago uh, because it was custodian at that point. But it seems that they're moving away from well, that. No, their Lightning pre- Wallet is custodial. Their on-chain yes. wallet is not custodial. So I don't think people should be using custodial Lightning wallets. Uh, I just don't think that's the the future. We, we will see here and, and it creates a lot of headaches in terms of government pressure and, and who you want to squeeze on that. I mean, we saw that with drop it, right? Like drop it also had the 50, 50 model, uh, where they had non-custodial on chain and custodial, uh, custodial lightning. And when they got seized by the feds, the lightning funds all got taken. Right, everyone's lightning wallet got drained, but their on-chain balances were fine because it was non-custodial. So it's a very yeah. dicey, dicey predicament. But it looks like Blue Wallet is. And also, the other thing that we should note for the freaks is that if you have LND Hub running, uh, which is a server, it's like their backend server that they have. You can technically run that yourself, and then you're not you're not doing custody. But the way it defaults, it defaults to the lightning wallet being custodial. Um, but they've added all these other features around everything else that are, they're nice features and it's a, it's a clean wallet on the phone. So options, it's good to have options. Yeah, no, it's incredible to see. And, um, I think, uh, isn't, isn't blue wallet, isn't, isn't domiciled like in Eastern Europe as well? Is it the Czech Republic? I'm not sure. I, I've heard Dominican Republic, actually. Hmm. That'd be interesting. But I'm not sure. Yeah, we'll see. Shout out to Blue Wallet and Hoddle Hoddle. Uh, to Max and Roman at Hoddle Hoddle. Big fans of what those guys are doing. Hoddle Hoddle's doing very important things, and it's it's glad. I'm very happy to see this partnership come to light. And I think it it's... It's really fascinating that you can engage in a hot auto trade on Blue Blue Wallet directly. Those are the types of partnerships I like to see. Yeah, I mean, going back to the the BIS conversation, Hoddle Hoddle took a different approach, right? They didn't go for decentralized, uh, but they went for non-custodial. So they don't ever take custody of the funds, but it's a completely centralized platform. And right now they've been able to avoid KYC because of it. So... It should be interesting to watch how that all unfolds, but it's it's really it's it's a great option out there for people. And and with this local trader addition into Blue Wallet, I mean, it, as as we've talked about it on this pod so many times, and as people have noticed in real life, like mobile access, uh, seamless mobile access is like a really really important thing. Yes, yes, and we we noticed that uh, when Samurai released mobile mixing for Whirlpool, uh, that may and probably as the impetus i think uh, i think we can safely say that that was the impetus for the surge in volume that they've seen uh or what are we using liquidity or volume i like using volume people yeah. like arguing surge in volume liquidity in means i yeah. just avoid it so they've had they've had a surge in volume and speaking of samurai uh they've released dojo version 1.5 and ronin dojo 1.4 um, so those are available now. So, I mean, the big thing is Dojo V1.5 switches from using Bitcoin Core 
to look at transactions and to scan the blockchain, and it switches to Electris, uh, Electrum Rust server, okay. uh, which is way more efficient and reliable. Um, Ronin Dojo V1.4 is the, the package that you can run on a Raspberry Pi that includes Dojo and Whirlpool and Electris. So that just brings up, it's just updating to Samurai Dojo 1.5, so it's taking those updates. And then on top of that, um, the Noddle Dojo and the Noddle 1 already had basically what Dojo V1.5 has become, which is they were already using Electris. And Keto Miner over at Noddle further ported it back to all Noddles. So the, the original Noddles also now have, have Dojo and Whirlpool, which is great to see. The, the 500 gigabyte SSD model, the, the Super OG Noddle, um, you have two choices because uh, Electris takes up a, a lot more space. You can either upgrade the SSD to one terabyte, which he provided a, a really nice video on how to do that, or you can use it with Electromex. So he got it to work with Electromex, uh, which doesn't have to keep all the chain data there. Uh, so it so it, it works on, on much smaller amounts. So that was pretty cool that, that little hack he did there. Uh, I know I appreciate it as a as a Noddle 500 gigabyte owner, um, and also the video on how to upgrade. So that's fantastic to see. And I just wanted to reiterate, um, like I I 100% think that if you're gonna buy a pre-built node, the Noddle is the best node. Uh, I own two Noddles. Uh, they both have treated me very fucking well. They're super fucking reliable, and specifically, you know, with with Dojo here. Like it's pretty awesome that you can buy one of these pre-built nodes, um, and you can run Dojo on it, run Whirlpool on it, scan it with the QR code, automatically connect through Tor, and then you have a fully functioning CoinJoin wallet that does CoinJoin for you, that does coordinated co- five-person CoinJoins, that does two-person P2P CoinJoins, that simulates CoinJoins with yourself, and it's just. That full stack, that idea of this full stack um, for someone for like $500 is just, uh, I think it's a game changer. Like if, if you, if you want to save money, you want to build it yourself, you want to know the hardware inside and out, by all means, build your own node. Um, but it can't be understated that, you know, how it's often understated, like how important it is for just like the average user to be able to just say like, okay. I want to use Bitcoin more privately. I want to run my own node. I want to do coin join. So I'm going to spend $500 on this. I'm going to plug it into my router and power and, and I'm going to connect it to my phone and I'm good to go. Yes, UX is imperative and it's something Keto Miner and Escuedo have had in mind since the start. And just personally speaking, I haven't met somebody who's more of an adversarial thinker when it comes to hardware than, than Keto Miner. He's somebody that understands network systems very well uh and networking very well well in general that's what he's been doing his whole life and somebody who i think understands the hardware and the importance of doing it right from first principles and everything i've seen from the noddle team is has lived true to that ethos i mean specifically their high-end node uh that i purchased as soon as like the pre-orders went up um is on the pricier side. I don't know what the retail is now. Maybe it's like $800. But it has two one terabyte SSDs that back up each other automatically. 
that are encrypted with a kill switch. Like, that is fucking fantastic. He, he even, like, little things, like, there's been complaints, like, on your, like, a lot of these nodes broadcast as exactly what they are so like on your on your network it, you can see my node you can see the old noddle used to just say noddle um casa node would say casa node so if someone had access to your network let's say you're using a router from your isp or something and they can see all the devices that connect not only did they see xbox they also see casa node or they see uh, my node there and that creates a privacy issue right so what did he do all new novels that ship have a randomized name, just some random fucking name, like cow flipping or something. So like you, when you go into your routing settings, you're looking for the local IP address, you have to look up the, the random name, and he prints out a little sheet of paper that shows the random name for you. Um, like little, little security things like that, privacy things like that, he's just constantly thinking, and it's, it's very commendable. Extremely commendable, and... Let's not uh, lose sight of this, freaks. We are uh, working with Noddle. If we find somebody in pop culture that's sort of getting their toes dipped in Bitcoin and they seem like they're they're falling down the rabbit hole a little bit and we want to send them uh, a piece of Bitcoin hardware, the Noddle team is willing to send to anybody out there who seems like they're jumping into the Bitcoin rabbit someone hole. Someone like Joe with, Kern who has, Yeah, someone like Joe Kern and Michelle Fan. Somebody who has uh, a high leverage uh, reach. Well, maybe not as so much Michelle, keep... right? Because like Michelle is already established. She's orange build. We like she, we got her completely. Yeah, yeah. So keep an eye out for that. It's still on the table. Um, sometimes I uh, don't have my eyes on the lookout, so I, we have to depend on you freaks too. Let us know if you see anybody falling down the Bitcoin rabbit hole so we can get them this hardware. They can talk about it. They can experience financial sovereignty in the digital age firsthand. And it's important to be clear here that they haven't paid a shit. Uh, the only bias... <laughs> no, not at all. The only bias we have is that I consider them my, my good friends. So, full disclosure, I treasure that friendship. Me as well. Shout out to Keto Miner and Esquedo. Uh, I mean... Talk about two people just care about doing it the right way and care about freedom. And yeah, you guys can go listen to their episode that we recorded during Bitcoin 2019. I think we, we hit on why they're in this and, and why we love them we drank so much. Satoshi Jin. That was one of the drunkest episodes. Yeah, yeah. That was, uh, was a good I mean, I think that might have been a three-hour guy too. And then we went to Beefsteak afterwards. That was a great day. That was a great day. I found out. I found out that my wife was pregnant that day. Was it that day? No, it was the day after. Because I found out yeah. the same day as right. you, right? You found out like the same five yeah, minutes. Like, you shouldn't be telling people. You should it, uh, word to the wives so you freaks out there. You're not supposed to tell anybody outside of your uh, immediate nuclear family Wait, until like 12 you weeks. Know, I, I, I don't think I've less ever, than 12 minutes. I don't think I've ever told this story, but since you brought it up, I mean, you know, people talk about how drunk I got at the live RHR Um at Bitcoin 2019, well, part of the reason was because three hours later, while we were recording two podcasts in a row before that live one, uh, Marty told me in confidence about it. And I just got super excited. So the Bitcoin, not only was the Bitcoin price pumping, but I was really excited for Marty uh, and, his, and his wonderful wife. So um, that was that just not an excuse, but just to let you know where my head was at that at that moment. No, it was a great weekend. And 
I know the freaks love when five drink back comes out. I know I certainly do. Ah, now like now I'm like man, bummed. Yeah. I'm bummed now because now I'm thinking of we were gonna surprise you freaks with a live show during blockchain week here in New York City. I had like a theater lined up and everything. That doesn't seem like it's gonna happen. It's definitely not gonna happen. Um, yeah, there's no way that that would have been. Yeah, yeah. Surprise. Hopefully one day when when everything is uh is lifted and we're able to to meet in person again. At some point, we will, in New York City, have a live event at, uh, where's the Soho Subculture Theater in Soho. It's a dope theater. It's going to be a good time. Look forward to and it. It's got a bar, too. It's the most important. Of course. Yeah. Um, it- this is pretty op- open arms, dude. This dude's putting the team on his it's back. Last nice week, way. we talked about the multi-location seed backup proposal that he had. This week, he's got... Uh, a method to provide clear net access to Tor Lightning nodes, which he just proposed. So Tor two IP underscore tunnel. Yeah, he he dropped this like right after we finished the earlier RHR um, this week. Um, I guess this one wasn't just him. I I think he was there. There was like a Lightning Hack Day going on. Um, obviously virtual and. He like came up with it with a couple other people, I believe, right? I'm looking it up now. Um, he says thanks to at EMZYMZ for the original SoCat syntax. Yeah, so Lightning Hack Sprint was where they were discussing it. And basically the idea is so like right now, like as I said, like I think that the average user who wants to contribute to Lightning Network and run a routing node should be running it through Tor. Um, the problem is when you run through Tor the only people who can open a channel with you is other Tor nodes. Uh, ClearNet nodes cannot open a channel to you. You know, regular IP addresses instead of a dot .onion address. Um, the Tor nodes are kind of like first-class citizens in this regard because they can open to a ClearNet. But once they open to the ClearNet, the, the ClearNet node can then open a channel back, um, but not the opposite way. Now, with this, the idea is that a Tor node can use... A Tor node operator can use uh, a VPS, a server in the cloud, to basically relay that connection. So they're broadcasting an IP address. So a ClearNet node can connect to a Tor node, and and because because of this Tor to IP tunnel, they don't even necessarily need to know they're a Tor node. They just see an IP address, they connect to it, and yeah. So it's it's a significant improvement for connectivity. Uh, for Tor routing nodes, which is great because it further incentivizes running a Tor routing node to begin with. And from my experience, particularly running a, a large Tor routing node uh, with many, many channels, is that you tend to have a lot of inactive ClearNet channels. Just propagation in general on the Lightning Network, if you're running Tor only, is is an issue. It's It's not like a deal breaker issue, uh, but it's an uptime issue, it, it, especially when you have a large amount of channels. So I wonder how much this, I think the, it definitely doesn't hurt. And I think it will improve that uptime issue because it will allow the clear net nodes to reconnect to you instead of you having to always connect to the peer. No, I think that's huge. And then another thing I'm pretty sure you mentioned, but cannot go underscores. There's no port forwarding needed for this. Um, which is huge because that's a manual process that most users aren't willing to, to undertake. 
Yeah, because you're connecting to your VPS through Tor. And then the outside world is connecting to the VPS through ClearNet. Yeah. So shout out to OpenOMS. This is a proposal right now. It's obviously what? not well tested, but it's something. Yeah, I mean, it's not something that anyone has to implement. It's just if you want to do it, you can do it. They just like set up a... They, 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 a tunnel service. Yeah, they basically set up the workflow for how you would implement it if you wanted to implement it on your own node. Um, and it appears OpenOMS already did it, and he had a, a, a URI code for his Lightning node, um, or a Lightning node. Nope, it's his Lightning node. His store's Lightning node on, um, on ClearNet. So he's, he's obviously testing it out and using it right now, and it seems to be working well. So we will be watching it. We're going to have to get that. We're going to need to get that motherfucker on the pod. This dude's beast. Yeah, well, I told him next time he's in New York, but now that we're just doing remote pods, we should just fucking get it done. Yeah. Shout out, Open Arms, if you're listening. The invite is open. Let's make it happen. I want to be in on that podcast. Definitely. I will be joining. Um, this is pretty big announcement. Fold announces Satback Visa debit card, something people have been waiting for. It's here. Uh, seems pretty cool. You can connect it to your Fold app to get more sats if you want, but it seems that Fold has partnered with Visa. What was Visa's, um, their venture arm? I think they call it Fast Track. Yeah. I mean, the, the um, idea is it's a Visa debit card, and instead of getting points, uh, we've talked about this on the pod before that we think this will become the standard sats back. Uh, instead of getting points, you get sats as your reward. And I, they haven't fully announced the reward structure, but I imagine it will be just like regular credit cards or reward debit cards where it's like, you know, they'll have different categories and you'll get different percent back depending on what the category is. Um, uh, you know, they're, they're advertising it as, as also a more privacy focused experience. That's what I was going to ask you. Um, I did speak to Will about this cause I wanted some clarification. Will Reeves, uh, the founder of Fold, uh, about this ahead of time. Uh, so there's a couple of things here. So Fold right now has a gift card purchasing side, okay? And you could buy those gift cards with Bitcoin or you could buy those uh, gift cards with credit card. Either way, you get Bitcoin back. I, I am a user and I love it. Okay. And if you pair that with something like Escher app or Lightning Strike, you get more sats back without having to set, spend sats, which is dope. Right, because you get more back if you pay... If you pay with Bitcoin. Okay. The cool thing about the Fold app with gift cards is right now you can run it in anonymous mode. So if you pay with Bitcoin, they take no KYC information whatsoever from you and they pay you back in, they, they, they give you sats back for every purchase. You can also do the same thing with credit card. And if you do it with credit card, they don't take an email or anything, but they obviously know your credit card information. So there's some light KYC there in the form of your credit card information and they pay you sats back. With the added benefit there that your credit card doesn't see all your individual transactions, so it, there might be a slight privacy benefit there from the credit card perspective. Um, but, but Fold obviously knows your credit card uh, purchase history and they know your, your gift card purchase history, but there's, so it's like KYC. Then with this, they obviously are gonna know your bank account information if you link your bank account to this debit card to add funds to it, they are supposedly going to do um, an account number system so you can just direct deposit to it like Cash App does. 
uh, if you don't want to connect a bank account to it or if you don't have a bank account to connect to it. So you can just direct deposit directly into the app, into the debit card. So they don't have that information at that point, but they will also have your mailing address, yada, yada, yada. So in terms of that, obviously it's a debit card. You got, you got traditional debit card KYC element there, but from a principal point of view, they are a more privacy uh, focused company. So, so what Will says is you have the ability to opt out of any kind of analytics, uh, you know, marketing, stuff like that on your transactions. The opt out is going to be, it's, unfortunately, it's not default. I'd like to see it be default opt out, but it's just right in your face in the onboarding experience. It tells you if you want to opt out of all of that, you can opt out of all of that. And then they have that feature that a lot of that we see with a lot of cards, new age cards nowadays. Um, I think like Apple Pay does this to um, the Apple Pay card um, where like you can create burner credit card numbers, right? Like one time use only virtual credit card numbers, debit card numbers, and use that instead um, to try and break analytics more. Um, but it's, 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 it's conventional rails. But at the end of the day, like if people are buying things with credit cards and debit cards, um, they might as well get Bitcoin instead of soft money. They might as well get hard money instead of soft money. Um, it is a net benefit in that regard, no matter what I would say. Hard earned soft money is wasted energy. Make sure you're getting sats back. No, I agree. And like you mentioned, we've been talking about this a lot on the podcast. We think that's going to be one of the uh, biggest impetuses for, uh, for constant buying pressure is these sats backs sats back cards and again if it's within your risk appetite that you're willing uh, to give up this information for a debit card you're going to be shopping uh, regardless for the stuff with a debit card why not get sats back you can uh, after a certain threshold begin coin joining those coins and taking back your privacy uh, you might as well get good money instead of bad money which i mean and even with credit card points, points are worse than than the soft money that we're subjected to. Well, some to have cash day. back, right? Um, yeah, some do. But yeah, like if you're going to give Apple the information, like I'd prefer Fold have the information than Apple. Um, and I have withdrawn from Fold on the gift card side of things, those, those rewards. Um, and I have coin joined them with Whirlpool and I've had no problems. And if I ever have any problems... You freaks will be the first ones to know, but that's just my own personal experience. Um, but yeah, like as Marty said, you know, I, I consider these sats back programs weaponized consumerism. Uh, so we have like massive consumerism in the United States and the Western world in general, the whole fucking world. Um, but especially the United States. And if you can take a portion of those, that spending, you take 2%, five percent of that that portion that's spending and you're pumping it into bitcoin which is a scarce asset um shit's gonna get real real fast you know that's that's gonna create an insane amount of buy pressure long term and and it's gonna start with these bitcoin only companies like fold leading the way um and then we'll see entrenched players you know like like square cash app disclosure their sponsor is like the middle ground there they'll probably implement it at some point but I wouldn't be surprised if we start seeing like the big dogs within the next five years, like the Barclays and stuff like that, trying to woo customers over with sats back. Um, yeah. Yeah. It seems like a natural progression. And again, slowly, but surely like fold probably got, 
out advertised by the Fed's announcement, the unemployment numbers today, but this is something I've been writing about over the last month and a half. As this crisis is unfolding, it seems to me at least that a lot of fundamental building blocks for Bitcoin being successful in the long run are getting built out and things are happening and people aren't noticing it in the mainstream. But if you're paying attention in the Bitcoin world, there's some pretty, pretty good things going on right now. And actually a good transition to our next topic, our good friend, uh, Gleb Nalmanko was on Stefan Levera podcast to talk about early. We had Gleb on last fall to talk about this, but they elaborated on it on the Stefan Levera podcast. And this is another example of something that is a huge fundamental building block. I have not, um, I'm, I know you did though. It was I fucking fantastic. Have been, uh, it was very good. I love extremely. Gleb. Gleb's, Gleb's yeah, a good dude. I mean, Gleb's a good, a good dude. He's like a good kid. He's like young and it's an incredibly, one of the most incredibly smart people I've met in this space and had the pleasure of interviewing. And for you freaks who are unaware, Erlay uh, is a step towards an ideal. So Erlay basically makes Bitcoin transaction relay more bandwidth efficient. Right now we have the Bitcoin flood system, which takes up a lot of bandwidth per month. Erlay would severely reduce the the amount of bandwidth required to relay transactions across uh, the network, node uh, node messages between each other. And we're talking magnitude, like multiple magnitudes of order improvement. If you're um, talking about connectivity, the, the amount of bandwidth per month consumed by a node that's connecting to 24 other nodes gets reduced from about 13 gigabytes per month to less than one. Freaks, go listen to the episode. It was very good. Gleb did a good job explaining it. Uh, it's yeah. An important topic. And, and Gleb is somebody who's been working in the space for a while. He did some great things in Ukraine, building exchanges there. He's... Uh, part of chain code now we're lucky to have him working on bitcoin um so shout out to gleb and early would be a huge and that's so early is a part of the the p2p network so there would not be a fork or soft fork anything involved to to upgrade this correct if i recall correctly correct. he's already running it yeah yeah all right boss i need to i need to watch that but but it only you only get benefits from other early running nodes uh, yeah, but, it makes but sense. Even even if not all the nodes run it, you still you know if you have like one peer running Erlay and you're running it, then you get benefits. You automatic you just quickly start seeing seeing benefits. Uh, it brings it essentially yes. it brings the cost down for running a node, which is massive. Um, yeah, no. Again, long term, this is this is huge for the decentralization of the network. You want it so individuals can download and download the blockchain number one and then relay transactions without the cost of doing so getting too burdensome and early would severely reduce that cost and allow individuals in parts of the world where internet connectivity is not as good to, to run Bitcoin and contribute, which is very important. Or if you're running through Tor. That as well. Uh, that as well. And then the other good episode that I listened to this week, uh, you did, uh, Peter had the chain chain analysis chain analysis co-founder on his podcast. What Bitcoin did, um, Johnny Levin, right? Johnny Levin, Jonathan Levin. Um, this I think is a must listen. Um, they butted heads hard. Uh, Peter told him on air that he bought cocaine on the Silk Road, which was an interesting um, 
back and forth. Uh, and yeah, and I, I just I think people should listen to it because personally, like these are the people we're up against, uh, and people should realize where they're coming from. Like he thinks uh, he's in the right. Um, he, you know, they they talked about the moral predicament of helping governments. Where do you draw the line? What's a good government? What's a bad government? Um, you know, are you helping authoritarians? Uh, what happens if a government is a democracy and it becomes an authoritarian? Do you cut off business with them? Um, and Jonathan gave a lot of doublespeak-ish answers, uh, like talking around and stuff like that. Um, and Peter got a little bit emotional at times, but I think it's, I think it's worthy a listen that for everyone should give it a listen. If anything, just to know your enemy. And <laughs> enemy is a strong word, but somebody who has a different perspective on how uh, Bitcoin should be surveilled. Well, he's, enabling, uh, and that's, and he's enabling authoritarians. If, let's be clear here. But yeah, I, yes, let's be clear. But I personally think that chain analysis will exist as long as they're able to exist. If, 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 exactly. if they don't make it, someone else will make it. Someone else will track it. And it's our job to make their life as difficult as possible in terms of actually tracking transactions. So if we increase coin join usage, we increase a bunch of the privacy characteristics of Bitcoin, then we can make their business obsolete. And that's the productive way to handle it, not um, basically asking them to back off because they will never back off. And that's where I feel like no. the disconnect was with Peter, where he was like, you're stopping me from using Bitcoin privately. But really, the the perspective You're should be highlighting pain points. Yeah. Well, I mean, the perspective should be that we should make it impossible for them to do their job in the first place. Let's, you know, let's put them out of business rather than complain about it. No. And that's the way you do that is you let them highlight the pain points. Like, Hey, we were able to do this because of Bitcoin's uh, existing properties that are made in this way. And so that lets us know, Hey, all right, this is what we need to focus on changing. No, and I agree. And I do not, I think I don't, I don't like chain analysis at all. I did meet with one of their employees. We got coffee a couple of months ago before the quarantine and he's a very good dude. Um, but I, again, like, I don't know. I I'm in your camp and Peter's camp where, uh, it's a slippery slope of, if you do this, are you really helping Bitcoin? Or are you helping the people that don't want Bitcoin to happen? And I'm certainly in, in the latter camp there. Um, but, I think a hate, good heuristic... Don't hate the player, hate the game. And the game is structured in a way where... I think a good heuristic is that you, the average Bitcoiner, have no access to their platform whatsoever. If you're an authoritarian dictator, you, you, you get access right away. They'll give, you, they'll give you a private salesperson who just handles your account and make sure your life is as, as great as possible in terms of tracking down dissidents. But if you're an average Bitcoiner like us, we can't get access to it at all. We have no access to the platform. That I've never actually got to use the platform. And I've been trying. I've been trying to get you know, people who work in, regulated, in the regulated Bitcoin businesses give me a username and password. Let me just, I just want a half an hour in there. You know, I want 45 minutes in there. You can't get it. So here's the question that led to my meeting with the, the employee from Chain Analysis. What the fuck are you doing? If you're not helping Bitcoin, like what are you doing? You replied to a bent, right? You like attack them in a bent. Yeah, I attack chain analysis, and I, I stand by that bent. Like, what the fuck are you doing if this is the case? Like, why can't 
why can't we see those tools? Uh, like, is it because we're not paying? No, like I could. I know because you've been trying for. They won't let me. Pay. You've been trying for quite a while. I can't pay for access. There's no way I can pay for access. Yeah. They like ask, you know, are you a business or an authoritarian? And then if you check one of those boxes, and then they decide which kind of business they will allow to do it, right? Like Tales from the Crypt, uh, we can't. We can't get a chain. Like I, I said, I joked to you the other. We day. We have a BTC pay server set up though. Right, but I joked to you the other day, like we should tell them that we really just want to make sure. You know that CoinJoin users aren't donating to our BTC Pay server instance, and like get a corporate pers- uh, subscription, and like they won't. There's there's no way they they do it on a private per user basis. You know they like determine they probably risk score their fucking clients uh, and decide whether or not they're going to allow access to it. Spooks, there's spooks in the hen house. Be careful, freaks. No, but I mean, no, I. I hate to say that because the person I met with personally, I, I like him as a person, but again, like I don't agree with the product at all or what the product stands Which for. Which is hysterical because the bent that triggered that conversation, you called out the employees, not the company. You were like, if you're an employee at Chain Analysis, what the fuck are you doing with your life or something to that effect? Well, I will reiterate that. I mean, even though I like you, like what the fuck are you doing? What are you doing at the end of the day? Like... We have a revolution to fight. Do you see what the Fed's fucking doing? Going back to what we were talking about earlier. <laughs> the institutions that you're helping out, the autocrats that you're helping out, the governments that you're helping out, they don't give a fuck about the individuals in this in this country, in the world at large. We are at, we are at, I don't want to say war. Yeah, we're at war. We're at fucking war for the future of the digital age. Do we want to be a surveilled cuck fucking populace or do we want freedom and liberty in the digital age we have a fight to fight right now again i've said this many times on this podcast we go one of two directions the chinese surveillance state exported to the rest of the world and let's not lie the american uh, defense arm is definitely surveilling its citizens too that has been made perfectly clear since uh, the patriot act like we either fight back against these governments or you help them cattle herd people into a digital panopticon like i'm sorry i'm, I'm not gonna you know what i was trying to play coy and and be nice to the person i met per- personally but seriously what the fuck are you doing <laughs> we're talking about human liberty here moving forward it is imperative that we fight for this liberty the rosé just hit half a bottle rosé down but this is a perfect segue into the next topic which is same zane pocock from uh knox wrote a piece today on the Earnit Act. And the Earnit Act is a perfect example of the state of the American government, particularly trying to leverage fear and push through a, a law that would severely depreciate liberty in the digital age, particularly pertaining to encryption technology. So this is, we've talked about it on the podcast uh, a couple times already, but Lindsey Graham and, uh, Gov- or representative or senator blumenthal are trying to push through this earn it act that would basically make it so all these corporations have to share every message every piece of information that you send on their apps with the government and they also want backdoors for end-to-end encryption technology which is impossible if you have a backdoor it's not end-to-end encrypted it is not encryption technology at the end of the day and there's no such thing so as they a dove into this no not at all and they dove in like the Orwellian doublespeak of the Earn It Act 
is like again i've spoke about this and written about this before it is mind-blowing the earn it act so earn it they're, they're playing to I, the american ideals of work hard and earn it and this act if passed is the laziest thing ever they don't earn any of the information they're getting they just get it handed over to them but uh i mean i wrote a two-minute bent and we talked about it for a little bit on the podcast but zane pocock and our boy thib uh wrote a thorough piece on it today and uh a twitter thread as well and it's it's incredibly uh enlightening so i would go read it they talk about what's happening in the long game they get into the basics of encryption and the need for people to rise up like we need to fight back against this stuff this is the most comprehensive uh earn it piece i've i've read so you freaks should go you, you freaks should go read it they did a very good job um i mean we have talked about it a decent amount in the past um you know the thing with the earn it act was we talked about it it looked like there was no way it was going to pass and now that corona is happening they're able to get a lot they're going to be able to get a lot of this shit through so we have to be extra vigilant um and and as i said they did a very very good job with it um i gave them some very light feedback they showed it to me before posting gave them some very light feedback but it's it's fantastic it's a very good piece and everyone should go read it and and i just want to reiterate because you transitioned us like you really got to go listen to that what bitcoin did with the chain analysis guy like he one of the things he said to him, he was like, do you consider yourself a Bitcoiner? You know, and it, so it was like it was like very much a heated, heated, emotional conversation with with the co-founder of Chain Analysis. And we, we don't ever see that really in this space. So it's definitely an enlightening one. Go peep it. Go peep it, Peter. Hope you're living well, brother. Um Last topic and one that we wanted to talk about on Monday, but forgot to, and I teased it in the ad on Monday, so we have to talk on talk about it briefly. Uh, Rodolfo Novak from Cold Card, he uh, sent something to the Bitcoin dev mailing list that I thought was pretty cool. I wrote about it on, was it yesterday? Yeah, I wrote about it yesterday. just wanted to mention it. It would basically be a keychain uh, software that would allow you to create private keys offline via cold card and then implement them or excuse me, restore them on other wallets outside of cold card. So you basically have an offline private key uh, generator with a cold card, and then you can use those private keys that are held uh, and encrypted under uh, a password to uh, keep all your private keys that you're using on multiple wallets in one spot which again, it's not for everybody, but for certain businesses and individuals doing certain things with multiple wallets, it seems like a cool functionality. So, I mean, my understanding is it's like a, you have one seed to rule them all. You back up one seed and then you have all these yes. child private keys and those child private keys you can use for different apps and whatnot. And if one of them gets compromised, everything else doesn't get compromised and you still have this just single seed backup. So you just have these word phrase, super easy to back up. Uh, you know it was generated securely. You did your fucking 500 dice rolls uh, on the cold card. And then you're able to just generate child private keys at will um, in a standardized format uh, going forward, right? Yeah, it's BIP, BIP 39 standard. Um, BIP 32 is the entropy provider, I believe. And then, so there is a BIP for the specific keychain uh, idea 
in the Bitcoin core repository. It hasn't been merged or it hasn't even been a BIP number provided. So that's what Rodolfo was uh, asking about in the email. He sent like, hey, I want to do this with cold card. Is there a BIP number assigned? Has it been reviewed? Adam Back and Christopher Allen responded to that email and said, hey, I, I really like this idea. That's what Adam Back said. He, th he said he thinks it would be useful. The crypto the cryptography libraries are being used. They're being used across Bitcoin software as well. And Chris Rowan asked if Peter Willow would review it and said he probably would have some, uh, some critiques, but, uh, regardless if it gets merged into core or not, if it gets merged into core, it'd be great because it would create a quasi standard that other, uh, wallet builders could use going forward. But I, I DM with Rodolfo and he said, he's going to implement it no matter if core merges it or not. So yeah. it'll be on cold card at some point soon. It's not like a crazy idea. It's, it's relatively easy to implement the, but the groundbreaking thing would be if it was a standard, right? Because yes, the whole, exactly. the whole concept, like you can't have one seed to rule them all. If no one supports it, right? It needs to be a standard for it to, you know, actually give you real, real benefits. Yes, exactly. And that, hey, I'm hoping it gets merged into core. It seems that, I mean, uh, don't trust Verify, but Adam Back, Christopher Allen are like, hey, this seems like a good idea. Waiting to hear more comments on that, but it would be, again, just a streamlining process of key management, private key management, particularly for businesses and users with multiple wallets and using different wallet softwares. So shout out to Rodolfo for pushing that forward as well. We got anything to end it on here? We got anything to riff on? We're an hour and 20 minutes in almost. No, I think this was a great episode. I miss you, freaks. I miss you, Marty. Uh, miss you too, brother. I, I, yeah. I, I, I look forward to the end of, the end of this bullshit. Um, and I hope everyone is staying safe out there. I hope your friends and family are healthy. Um, I hope your businesses are weathering the storm decently. Uh, there's a lot of suffering out there. There's a lot of change in this world. Um, more so than at any point, I think in my short lifetime, um, and with change comes opportunity. So try and stay productive out there. Uh, try and leverage these opportunities that will come amid all this suffering and uh, stay humble and stack sets. I completely co-signed that message, and I wanted to end it on this. At uh, RogueRabbit3 on Twitter yesterday posted a great wall of graffiti uh, that simply said, the state won't save us, our neighbors will. So think about that. As we're sitting here waiting for the state and the Fed to save us, as they are uh, looking at us, looking at them to save us, and then they're going to bail out people who took undue risk i think it may be time to turn away from the state and turn internally towards our neighbors uh localism let's get back to localism your neighbors care more about you than the state does let's think about that moving forward peace and love freaks <laughs>